0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are wrapping up this series we've called All In, and it's based on what Jesus called the greatest commandment. Uh, He actually took two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he put them together, and he said, this is the greatest commandment. And so we have been looking each week at what that looks like. And this all came from conversations that we were having in leadership when we were talking about moving forward with all that we have been experiencing as a church and all that God has been doing among us. How do we stay on the right course? How do we keep ourselves focused and on the course and the path that He has for us together as a church? And what does that look like, not just on the outside, but on the inside? And so this whole idea of going all in... Um, loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourself. That's really at the heart of it because what we really want to do is help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what it looks like. So wherever you are at in that continuum, there is something in here for you. And we've been talking about, first of all, what does it mean to love the Lord with all my heart? My heart is that decisive center. It's the will. It's the center of my will. It's where I make those life-changing decisions. Um, When I got married, that was a decision of the heart. When I gave my life to Christ, that was a decision of my heart. It declared an intention and a direction for my life that has steered the course of my life ever since. So to love the Lord with all my heart is to make that decision up front that wherever it leads me, wherever it's going to go, however it turns out, I am following him. And then we talked about loving with all our soul, that our soul is the innermost part of who we are. Once we make that decision to head in Christ's direction, He begins to do this deep work, deep inside of us, transforming us from the inside out and learning to yield completely in every aspect of my life. That's the transforming and the loving with all of my soul. Then we talked about loving with all of our minds, that, that, that we set at that direction and we give Him our lives, but then... It starts to change the whole focus of how we approach life and how we interpret the circumstances of my life. And that's loving God with all of my mind. And then last week we talked about with all of our strength. And that simply is one word, it's serving. It's using the gifts, talents, abilities, skills, whatever God has given to me to use to serve in this world, in our community, in our church. So today we're going to talk about the very last one which is actually the second half of the greatest commandment. And you think, well, that's two different things. No, they are inseparably linked. In fact, they are there. So you can't really do one without the other. And Dallas Willard has a great way of explaining this in his book, Renovation of the Heart. And what he talks about is there are four movements of love. The first movement is that God loved us. He loved us first. God went all in for us in Jesus Christ. And Jesus went all in for us. He gave his life completely. He held nothing back in love, sacrificially giving his life so that we could be renewed, forgiven, and restored. That's the first movement of love. God took the first step. The second step is that we respond to that and we love God in return. And that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. So the first movement is God loved us. Second movement is then we move and move in his direction and begin to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Then the third movement is now because of his love for us and our experience of that love, now we begin to love those around us. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And what that does is that opens up the door for others to love us in return. Now, most of us spend most of our life trying to get other people to love us. We start at the wrong end. And he says, no, no, no. You start up front. God already loves you. So just love him back wholeheartedly. And then... He'll begin to change your heart in such a way that you're going to be able to love even the unlovable people in your life, which will open up the door for love to be reciprocated. So this morning, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to love my neighbor as myself? And fortunately, Jesus took a lot of time to explain this when he actually told the story because it came up in a conversation that he had with an expert in the law. It's found in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there and follow along with me, begin reading in verse 25. Luke wrote it this way. He said, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? And he answered, and I'd like us to read this all out loud together, like we've been doing each week. So you're going to have this all memorized by the time we're done. You ready? This is the reply Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor. As yourself, You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed over on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of Roberts? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. See, it's real easy to rattle off the right answer. It's a lot harder to put it into practice. So, how do you do that? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? I think it starts with this. I think it starts with recognizing the worth of the people around you. 25 years ago, I was at a pastor's conference. Bill Hybels was a speaker. And he said a sentence that has stuck with me ever since. He said, You have never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. And that has stuck with me for 25 years. You have never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. That in God's eyes, every individual that you encounter is of invaluable worth. No one you've ever looked into the eyes of does not matter to Him. Now, that has stuck with me for 25 years. I wish it, I could say it stuck with me on a daily basis, but it doesn't, okay? Okay. Um, It stuck with me, but I ought to be honest with you, on a day-to-day basis, I usually don't think much about that. In fact, probably because I think I'm a lot like you, mostly I think about myself. Now, maybe you don't, but that's me. Mostly I think about myself, my agenda, my comfort, my convenience, my wants, my desires. Um, I want what satisfies me. Most of my life, every day of my life, mostly I think about me. I'll give you an example of that. I started running about nine months ago, and, and this is the time of year where the days are getting shorter, so it gets, it's still dark in the morning when I do my running. And, and I, have, um, I have a course that I run in my neighborhood, and uh, I've, there's a lot of hills around, so I try to go up the hill and then... Run around on the flat level and run down to finish, okay? that's the, but, but to get the miles in that I want to get in, I have to kind of take side trips around every court and cul-de-sac that there is along the streets there. And the thing that I have found about... Um, by the way, if you have never walked the sidewalks of your neighborhood, just do that. You see things from a whole different perspective. People have overgrown yards. They have hedges that cover more than half of the sidewalk. And in cul-de-sacs, what I have found is people have a lot of vehicles, and there's not enough, not enough curb space for them to park the way they're supposed to park. So they park as if it's their own private parking lot, okay? So in this one cul-de-sac, um, they actually, this one house, I think, has at least six vehicles and takes up all of their driveway and then some. And one of their vehicles is a big boat on this trailer. And it is so big that the tongue, the hitch of the trailer, actually sticks out into the sidewalk, okay? And it's dark, now, if that was not bad enough, that very same house with the rest of their vehicles parked facing into the curb, and they parked with their bumpers hanging over the sidewalk, which leaves a very, very narrow gap. And as you're running in the dark and you're not able to clearly see that gap, what I did this week is I clobbered my knee on the trailer tongue, toppled over. Couldn't even walk for like five minutes. I just lay there on the ground. Middle, it's pitch dark, 5.30 in the morning. And I don't say the words that you say when stuff like that happens, because I'm a pastor. But what I did say was stupid people. <laughs> stupid neighbors. Because... Whatever is convenient and comfortable for them has now just intruded on my comfort and convenience. And at that moment, I was not thinking, this person matters to God. In fact, I don't think I thought that for a couple of days. But most of our lives, we go through life based on what's comfortable and convenient for me. We are, like I said, our default is selfishness. And we very rarely take the time to realize the worth in those around us, particularly if they inconvenience us. And so I think this whole idea of starting, uh, of, of loving my neighbor with myself, I think it all starts with seeing the worth of that individual and just recognizing this is somebody who is invaluable to God. What's interesting is Jesus tells this story. Because this guy asks this question, he's an expert in the law, and Jesus kind of turns it around and says, well, what do you think? What do you think it is? And he recited, he recited, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. He knew the right answer. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly, now do this and you will live. See, he knew the right answer. The problem was he didn't know the right question. Because it says he went on and wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, this is the question he asked, who is my neighbor? Now, that is not the right question to ask when it comes to loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself. That's the wrong question. Because, you see, as long as I'm asking the question, who, I don't ask the question, how? And the real question that we should be asking is, How? How do I love my neighbor as myself? You can tell a lot about the condition of your heart by the questions you ask yourself. What's the question that you ask? How? Or who? Because when I ask the question, who, what I'm doing is I'm trying to limit the responsibility I'm trying to narrow down the field. What I'm, the question I'm really asking is, who counts? So I know who doesn't count, so I don't have to know how to love them. What's the question that you ask? Who or how? See, religious leaders came by and they saw this man in need, and they just passed by and decided, because to them, he doesn't count. He's not worth the risk. And, and it's interesting in the story, We don't know why they passed by on the other side. And there's been all kinds of speculation. And what was the reason for it? Oh, well, it could have been this, could have been that. I think Jesus leaves that out purposely because there's no reason that's good enough because you're asking the wrong question. So here's the deal. This week, you might just start, maybe just start tomorrow morning with just a simple prayer. God, help me to see people in my life the way you see them. And then as you go through the day, in every encounter, in every um, situation, in every relationship that you are in, just remind yourself for a moment, this person matters to God. This person is invaluable to God. It might be the most rude, obnoxious co-worker that you have. But just remind yourself, this person matters to God. I think that's the starting point. We won't go any further if we don't see people the way Jesus sees them. So it starts with recognizing the worth of those people. By the way, that's why when we, when we started talking about adding a third service... Okay, And we started talking about what our options were. We could add another, a third Sunday morning service. We could do a Sunday evening service. We could do Saturday night. And then we got all these different times. And we had all these kinds of discussions. And I will be honest with you. When we were having all these kinds of discussions, there was a part of you that says, well, what's most convenient for me? See, what's easiest for us is just to add another third Sunday morning service. Because I'm here already. It's just one more hour. I can do that. That's real easy. Just, it's real simple. It's real convenient. But when we started asking the question, well, why are we doing this if we're trying to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ, and people who are unchurched are already working maybe on a Sunday, then adding a third Sunday morning service really doesn't fit the bill for them. See, we didn't pick Saturday night because it was convenient. We didn't pick it because it was comfortable. We picked it because our responsibility is to love our neighbor. It's why we've chosen to do two trunk or treats, one in Benicia, one in Vallejo, because Vallejo is part of our neighborhood. (laughs) And, And we want to reach more and more people, and we want to impact more and more of our communities, and we want to be able to just love on and provide a safe, great opportunity for them. And so that's why we're doubling our efforts in this regard, not because it's convenient. Would be convenient is just to do what we did last year. See, but when you start saying that everybody counts and everybody matters to God, then you start looking at things a little bit differently. So that's where it's got to start. Then part of that is closely related to it is you got to be able to look beyond the superficial barriers that you've created. Any superficial barriers, and what I mean by that is. Cultural barriers, ethnic barriers, religious barriers. Because, see, we are really, really good at categorizing people. We have this tendency to put people in all these different pigeonholes, and all these different categories, and every one of those categories actually present a barrier. Because then that's another group of people that I really don't have to pay attention to. And it's really superficial if you think about it. Jesus tells a story, and we don't get the full impact of it because we know the story of the good Samaritan. But the truth is, in Jesus' day, those two words do not go together. There is no such thing as a good Samaritan. They are poles apart. There were all kinds of barriers between Jews and Samaritans of that time. There were cultural barriers because the the Samaritans had actually been a part of Israel once upon a time. They had been part of the northern kingdom. And they had fallen to the Assyrians. And what happened was they started intermarrying interbreeding with the Assyrians. And so it diluted the Jewish culture of the northern kingdom. So much so that they weren't even considered Jewish anymore. There was a whole different culture. And there was an ethnic barrier attached to that because now they were half-breeds. They weren't even really a part of us anymore. And there was a religious barrier because they brought a little bit of paganism, Assyrian paganism in with everything else. And so it was kind of this admixture of all this different religion compiled together, which was far from the one God of Jehovah. So there's all these different barriers. And now Jesus tells this story. And so for the first time, hearers of this, they hear this story. And the first guy that comes along, that's a bit of a surprise because a priest happens to be going down the same road. He saw the man and he passed by on the other side. Now that's a surprise because the priest, you would expect to be merciful and do things on behalf of God. And you would think he would be the guy to help out. But he doesn't. In fact, the next guy, a Levite, who's also part of the uh, religious uh, leadership, when he came to the place and saw him, He passed by on the other side. That's kind of surprising because you would expect these would be the guys to help. But the real shock comes when he says, a Samaritan, as he traveled by, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You see, for a Samaritan to stop and take pity is shocking. Because it's real easy for the Samaritan to say, oh, he's not one of my kind. Let his own people take care of him. Now, it's not my responsibility. Let, let his own people take care of him. Religious, ethnic, cultural, geographic, all kinds of barriers, all kinds of reasons to not. But every time you create one of those barriers, every time you create one of those categories, you shut yourself off from the possibility of loving that person. So you've got to get past all of those barriers Superficial barriers, which is really what they are. We have a young couple from our church who are actually preparing to go out, um, and they're going to be going to South Africa. They're going to be crossing all kinds of barriers. Um, they're going to be crossing a cultural barrier, a geographical barrier, uh, financial barriers, all kinds of things going on for them. But I want you to hear a little bit of their story. Johnny and Ashley Lambert. Johnny, they're with us this morning. Johnny, why don't you come up and share a little bit about this process for you? Welcome, and would you please?
1: Morning. It's so good to uh, be home, spending time with all of you. Um, Ashley and I do have just a ton of barriers that we have to cross, uh, many that we have had to cross um, while we're in our own culture. Um, and in, I've, I've asked myself, you know, numerous times, like, why am I putting myself, why am I putting my wife, my new marriage through this? Uh, and it really comes back to the heart of God. In, in, the, in the Great Commission. Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. And the reality is God cares about our global neighborhood. He cares about our global neighbors as much as he cares about the ones that are a stone's throw uh, away. And uh, I realized, you know, maybe he knew that he was saying that, and 2,000 years later, we would live in the most accessible world that is imaginable that i can skype in real time with people in africa and can fly there in a matter of a day rather than a few weeks of a voyage on a on a ship uh, he knew that people in his church would be able to go and easily reach a global neighborhood and so we said look we're at a place where we are able we are young we just got married we don't have a house payment we don't have school loans we don't have children um, you know, we have to leave our friendships, leave our family, but we can go and we can give and we can serve God to reach this this global neighbor that we have uh, because we believe that's something that God values. Um, the second thing we really had to tackle was, uh, you know, beyond being able to see the value that other people have to God, we had to see our value to God because it would have been easy to be, to be able to say, Johnny, I, I don't have anything I can offer overseas. Why should I go? I don't have anything to give these people. I can't teach them anything, but to realize that God has something in me that he can use to reach my neighbors, whether that is here or abroad. Um, And we each have skills that God wants to utilize to allow us to reach our neighbors. Um, So we made the commitment, and we are headed to South Africa in January to serve with an organization called Jabulani Africa Ministries, a ministry that really seeks to equip and raise up young leaders in South Africa, young leaders who will impact their communities and impact the continent of Africa for Christ. So our primary role is to go. We're going to spend two years uh, living alongside some natives, uh, partaking in the ministry that they've already tried to start, teaching and equipping them to do the work that they, they need to do, budgeting, planning a calendar, putting together a program. Uh, we're going to walk alongside them through that whole process with the goal of, in two years, being able to leave and allowing them to take the reins and fully run this ministry into the future so that they can continue to change their community for years and years to come. Um, and we'll also be overseeing construction. God has blessed the, the organization with a camp facility to build and develop. And we'll be coordinating short-term teams so that friends and family from the states can come and partake in what God is doing um, in South Africa as well. Um, It's been a great undertaking. One of the barriers we've crossed and we are crossing currently is the financial barriers. We are in our fundraising campaign. uh, We need to raise $20,000 for our startup costs and $3,000 a month for our month-to-month living expenses for when we are abroad. Um, And it's been extremely countercultural in our own culture to be a young married couple and say, we're going to leave our jobs, we're going to leave our home, and we're going to become nomads and ask people to give us money to live on, Uh, surprisingly enough. (laughs) So we are in that process, um, and we're here. We'd love to share more about what God's doing in our hearts and what he's doing in uh, our ministry. We'd love to hear uh, about what he's doing in your life. We'd love to meet all the new people that are here since we've left, and we want to get to know you as well. And we just thank you for the continual love and support and the opportunity to come and share with you. Thank you.
0: So you may not go across the world, um, but you can support someone who does. You may not um, do huge things, but you can do little things. And that's really what the last part about this is all about. That when you have the opportunity, act on it. Just do something. See, it wasn't enough for for the Samaritan to come along and just take pity on him. Say, oh, wow, that's too bad. I sure feel sorry about that. He did something. In fact, he did a lot of things. It says he went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He didn't do everything, but he did enough to make a difference. And what Jesus does in all of this then is he kind of changes the word neighbor from a noun to a verb. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? In other words, he's saying, which do you think of of these three guys? Who (laughs) neighbored? Who neighbored? Who acted like a neighbor? He says, that's, that's really the bottom line. Because you can, you can have all kinds of warm, fuzzy feelings, but if you don't do anything, you haven't finished the job. And to love neighbors, to love your neighbors, to be able to look at them with a different set of eyes, to be available if there's a need, and to act on the need when there is chances are this week you are not going to come across someone who is beaten, stripped, robbed, and left half dead. That's probably not going to happen to you, I think. But you probably or might have a coworker having difficulty with a particular project and could use a little bit of extra help that you could provide or a classmate of yours who's struggling with the subject that you excel in might need a little bit of help and tutoring through that see, that is acting on it that too is loving a neighbor and it doesn't have to be your favorite neighbor it could be the neighbor with the trailer and the tongue sticking out blocking your walkway okay But you'll get an opportunity. You will get an opportunity this week. And Jesus said, Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Which means when you see the need and you have the opportunity, do something. You don't have to do everything and you can't help everybody. But you can help somebody and you can do something. And in that, you will learn a little bit more about what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.